there's rejoicing in heaven and we're rejoicing here today um, for the same reason, because there are those, the gospel still works. Okay, church, you hear me? The gospel still works. Um, it's still the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. It hasn't worn off since the first century. We read about all the things that took place in the scripture. It wasn't strong then and it's weak now. It's the same gospel, the same good news of Jesus Christ today as it was then, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter number 14. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. I did it again, Tim. I did it again. Ugh. We were talking this morning. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be in. And I said 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians uh, 14. And that's going to be in the New Testament of your Bible. It's actually probably going to be about three quarters of the way into your Bible um, is where we're going to be at today. Today, um, we're going through a study. We started last week with baptism, which we celebrated today. And so we started last week talking about baptism and what baptism is, how it's a next step in our spiritual life. And then we also talked about church, how we can help others to take these steps. Last week, we talked about how obedience multiplies obedience, how disciples multiply disciples, and how these things go hand in hand as we celebrate, as we come together around the Word of God, as we submit our lives to the authority of the Scripture, how God's the one who does this work. Those that we see here today, that's fruit of obedience, not a one-time obedience of a long-standing obedience. There are those that have been praying and praying and praying for the individuals that were baptized here today, every single one of them. Um, you see, God doesn't do things by accident. The things that we witness today, we celebrate the work that God is doing, has done, and is continuing to do in the lives of these, these individuals. Today, we're going to continue this study on next steps. We have uh, seven weeks that we're going to spend talking about next steps that we can take as individuals and that we can help others take as a church. And so this week, we're going to talk about the next step that um, I've called Sundays. Sundays. Um, now, let me uh, ask you guys a question, quick trivia question. How many times is the word Sunday found in the Bible? Zero. The answer is zero. I see some, I see some goose eggs being held up around the room. The answer is zero times. So, um, unbiblical message, right? Um, so here's what, just kidding, just kidding. We'll get there. As we talk about Sundays, um, we see a phrase that's used a few times in the New Testament. We see the first day of the week. Um, there's one reference in 1 Corinthians. Seven times we see the exact phrase, the first day of the week used. And so the question then kind of, uh, that we all should be asking is, why then do Christians gather on Sundays? Why do Christians gather on Sundays? The first four times, we'll get there, we'll get there. We got a, we got a ways to go. You got a, you're getting way ahead of me. We got a ways to go. He's just excited. His niece got baptized. He's just ready to roll. So uh, why then do Christians gather on Sundays? The first four times that we see uh, the first day of the week mentioned in the Bible are all referencing Jesus' resurrection. So the day that he rose from the dead. The first four times that we see it, one in each of the Gospels, we find very clearly it was the first day of the week. And so the early church, short version, you can get online and you can find the deeper history, but short version for the sake of our time here together today, is that the early church began to gather on Sundays in celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And we've continued. But can I say this this morning? Um, as we even talk about Sundays, the day is not the point. Okay? The day is not the point. We call this step Sundays because you and I in our culture, we understand that this is the day that Christians gather. This is the day that Christians gather. 
There are some churches that if they were to do something similar and have a next step, maybe they would just call it gathering because they gather on Sundays, but maybe have a service on Saturday nights. Did you know that the Bible was okay with that? (laughs) All right. There's not a prescriptive. There's not a, this is how we have to command in the Bible. But what we see is that the early church gathered on Sundays. And so we've continued to do that today. The day is not what matters as much as what does matter is the gathering part. Uh, let's keep uh, talking through it. We're going to hit 1 Corinthians 14. I want to set some background as we go into this passage. Um, as we come into this, uh, we should kind of be asking ourselves the question, why does it matter if the church gathers? Or does it matter if the church gathers? What, After all, what is a church? And if we look at what a church is, um, there is a, an English definition of the word church And then there's a biblical definition of the word church. And so what is a church? Um, How many of you knew, um, and this might be news for some of you, if it is, that's that's great. You're learning something today. How many of you guys knew the Bible was not written in English? All right. Some of you guys, some of you, that's new for you. You're like, wait a second. Okay, I guess that makes sense. You're processing and that's okay. Uh, But the Bible was not written in English. In fact, the Bible was primarily written in two languages. The Old Testament was overwhelmingly Hebrew um, with a little Aramaic sprinkled in. Bonus points if you can uh, come up afterwards and tell me which passages were in Aramaic. Um, New Testament, you have Greek primarily, um, although some Hebrew. Again, bonus, bonus points if you can figure out which ones were primarily Hebrew. Um, And so you have Hebrew and Greek in uh, most that makes up 98% of the Bible, which is why today we have different translations or different versions that we read out of. Um, I generally teach and preach out of the ESV or the English Standard Version, but there are other translations that are very good translations because we don't have the original manuscripts in English. They're in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, Okay. And so quick history lesson for you today. So the word church, if you go back to um, uh, the word church, as you look at this, um, what you're going to find is that the word church itself had a Greek origin. So the word that we say when we say the word church comes from a Greek word, kyrikon. Kyrikon, it means this, of the Lord of the Lord. Over centuries, it transitioned into a German kyrika and an old English kirche which we just dropped and formed a little bit. And so we have today the word church. Literally, the word church means of the Lord. And it began to be used in the Middle Ages. That's when we began to use the pronunciation of church. That's when we began to use this English word that you and I now use. But kirke or church is not the word that's translated church in the New Testament. (laughs) Isn't language fun? (laughs) You guys are so excited. Any, any grammar teachers in here? You're just like, yes, this is awesome, right? All right, some nerds. All right, there we go. Um, Stephanie's with you. I thought this was fun. Okay. Um, but this word, kirke, meaning of the Lord, is not the word for church that is translated in your Bible's church. When you read the word church in your Bible, you're reading a totally different word. And that word is this, ecclesia, ecclesia. When you look at your Bible, you open it up, you see this Greek word. If you were to go back and translate it back into the Greek, you would find the Greek word, ekklesia. And that word is, uh, it's a really fascinating word, but here's the literal translation of the word. It is a called out assembly. A called out assembly. Let me ask you a question. Can you have an assembly that never assembles? Yes, you can. We call it Congress. Okay. Um, All right. 
Sorry, guys. Sorry, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. All right, where's Roy <laughs> to play me? <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'm done. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> Sometimes inspiration just hits you. Uh, but listen, listen. You can't have an assembly that doesn't assemble, right? It just doesn't work. Um, there are a few people in this room. Uh, we play soccer together. We just enjoy the exercise, the camaraderie. We do this um, generally once a week. And so uh, we could say, hey, yeah, we, how do you know each other? We play on a soccer team together. Okay. Now, in five years, if we stopped playing together tomorrow and we never played for the next five years, and then uh, I said, oh, yeah, I know them because we play on a soccer team. You're going to be like, when was the last time you played? Oh, five years ago. No, no, no. Okay. You were on a soccer team. You are not on a soccer team, <laughs> right? An assembly that never assembles is not an assembly, right? And so what we find is that through the scriptures, we over and over and over, this word church assumes an assembly or a gathering. You say, how do you know it assumes that? It's literally the word, <laughs> okay? And then over and over again, we find phrases like this, when you gather. Not if you gather, but when you gather. And so as we look at the church, the English word that we have, yes, means of the Lord, and kirke, of the Lord. But the word, the biblical word for it is ekklesia, ekklesia, a called out assembly. That is what a church is designed to be. Now, as we look at the importance of gathering together, there's one passage um, that we are not looking at today that we looked at last year, and then we'll actually be hitting it again this summer because we're preaching through the book that it's contained in. And so what we'll find um, is the book of Hebrews chapter number 10 gives us a fairly well-known passage about the reason that the church gathers. And it says this, don't forsake the assembling, the churching of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. But it tells us to gather together for the purpose of provoking others to love and to good works, to encouraging one another. And so that's what we find in the book of Hebrews. And that's a passage that if you want to go back onto our uh, website, or you want to go onto YouTube, find Heritage Baptist Church, you can find um, I preached a message on that passage in a series we called The Church That Says Yes. And we, talk, we said the church that says yes to gathering and coming together. And so you can look up that passage. It's a passage that echoes a lot of what we're going to talk about here today, um, but in a, a different, different terms and some different context. And so as we look at the gathering of the church, uh, what we're going to find is we're going to find uh, similar things here from Paul in the book of First Corinthians, but said in some different ways. Now, as we come to the book of 1 Corinthians, especially as we're diving into near the end of the book, I want you to have some context. I don't want you to come into the book of 1 Corinthians blindly, but I want to show you what's happening within this church. Um, as we look at the church in Corinth, this is what we would call an unhealthy church. Um, this is a church that's spiritually sick. Um, they're not doing what they're called to do. They're living in ways that are expressly forbidden, not just by God, but by culture in general. And we'll get to that here in a minute. Um, there's public sin raging on within this church. And then there's also a lot of petty debates that are happening between one another, where they're arguing. Here's what's really happening as we're getting into this petty debates. They're worrying about all of the wrong stuff. They're not only getting wrong answers. They're asking the wrong questions. Um, they're asking questions like, is it okay to sleep with my stepmom? And I wish I was joking. You can go back to chapter five, and I'm telling you the truth. These are the kind of things that they're asking. 
And these are questions, there are questions surrounding this Corinthian church where I think Paul is just like, really guys, this is where we are. And so he's writing to a church that is unhealthy, but he's talking to them about how they can get back on track and move towards health. How they can once again be the church that they were saved and established to be. And so he begins writing through this book of 1 Corinthians, addressing a lot of these things. One of the main issues of the book of 1 Corinthians, which we won't spend a lot of time on today because it's not the topic that we're trying to get at within this passage, but one of the topics that is very heavy in the book is the issue that we would call tongues. Um, and it, as we talk about tongues, what this is from a biblical perspective is this is a sign gift where those who are followers of Jesus were able to, we look at Acts chapter number two, and we find that the apostles were able to miraculously speak to others in languages that they didn't know for the purpose of sharing the gospel. Magnificent thing took place. Thousands heard the gospel and responded to it. And they said, whoa, wait a second. I'm hearing in, in my own language, this word that this Hebrew man is speaking. And the one beside them says, no, no, he's not speaking that. He's speaking this language because they were speaking and they were hearing in languages that they did not understand, a miraculous sign from God. And so we're not going to dig into this issue substantially today. Um, but the short answer, if you wanted to talk theologically on this, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, I believe that we see an end to tongues foretold, that there would be a time where some of these sign gifts, uh, they would cease. But the spiritual gifts that exist for the purpose of the building up of the body would continue. We see that 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can look in this. You can study this. Um, Romans chapter 12. You can study it out on your own. And so uh, as we actually in the same uh, in the same sermon, in the same uh, series last year that we talked about the gathering of the church, we talked about some of those gifts. Um, the church that says yes to serving out of Romans chapter number 12. So I'd encourage you to go listen to that series if you want some more information on those topics. And so as all those debates come in, Paul kind of steps into those debates, answers them specifically, and then he comes to verse number 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. In verse number 20, he begins to kind of conclude and begins to say, this is why we gather as a church. This is the reason that we come together. He's given some instructions, and then he says, this is why I'm giving you these instructions. Well, watch what he says in verse 20. He says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. And so um, we could maybe summarize this verse in two words. Grow up, right? So Paul's written uh, 13 and a half, 14 and a half, I'm sorry, 13 and a half chapters. And then he says, let me get down to the root of this whole issue. Grow up. Do you ever have anybody you want to like say that to? <laughs> None of you guys would ever say that. And I would never say that to any of you guys but grow up. <laughs> he says, grow up. He says, stop behaving like children. You want to be like children? Then be like children when it concerns things that are evil, things that are wicked. Be like children concerning those things. Be ignorant there. But when it comes to the preaching of the word and the teaching of the scripture, be mature in that. And so he says, church, as we step into this, you've just, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to be mature. You've got to be mature as we handle these things. And so what we find is that he's preaching to these and teaching to these individuals. He's saying, listen, spiritually mature people don't fight the way that you're fighting. Don't behave the way that you're behaving. Because you see, the problem in this Corinthian church wasn't just disagreements. Okay. Can we've all lived with people and around people? How many of you guys have ever disagreed with someone? Okay. Most of you. Okay. We have disagreements. 
But it's not just the fact that there were disagreements. It was the way in which disagreements were addressed and handled. Because sin was never confronted. Uh, there were never uh, godly conversations leading to these things. And so Paul had to say, hey, guys, listen, you have done this for so long that we just really have to address a lot of different things in this book. And so now as he gets up, he says, listen, uh, it's chapter 13. He comes to the conclusion right before he tells them to grow up. He tells them what grownups do in chapter 13. And what he says is he says, listen, mature people bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and they endure all things. So they don't fracture when life doesn't go the way that they want it to. They don't start turning on each other because things don't happen the way that they wanted them to happen. But instead, we bear, we believe, we hope, and we endure through all of this. And then as we come to verse 21, let's keep reading here. He says this, um, in the law, it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips, even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for the believers, but for the unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for the unbelievers, but for believers. And so he begins to speak and he begins to talk uh, about these things that are going on. And actually, he quotes here from the book of Isaiah, and he begins to speak to these things. But really, here's, here's kind of what's happening, if I can summarize this for us. Um, he's beginning to tell them, listen, uh, the purpose of gathering is not, so here's what it's not before what it is, it's not for our preferences, okay? The purpose of our gathering is not for our preferences. Um, we are currently working through with one of our children. Um, he has very strong preferences when it comes to his food. Anybody ever have picky eaters? Anybody in here a picky eater? All right. Wow. We got, I see fingers pointing. Um, I do counsel um, for marriages if you need that. Uh, I don't know if I do picky. <laughs> it's going to involve eat this and eat this. Uh, listen, so we all, we've worked through, we've seen that. But listen, as you grow up, right, um, hopefully any of you adults that are picky eaters, um, you don't start screaming and crying and throwing yourself on the floor when someone hands you something you don't like, um, as is my, one of my three-year-olds. I won't say which one. So what we find is, listen, listen, the purpose of our gathering, it's not in our preferences. We don't come together to say the church ought to look like what I want it to look like. Because in this room together today, we have 130-something people in this room, um, can I tell you this? We're probably going to have about 200 different opinions, right? Because some of y'all can't even agree with yourself. You have the same problem I do. All right, I'm in that category. But we don't gather for our preferences. But that still leads us to this question, then what then do we gather for? And, and really, this illustration that he gives, um, he says, tongues are a sign not for believers, but unbelievers, well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Watch this verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? And so if you all came in and if everyone's just speaking in a different tongue, in a different language, are they not going to come in and say, okay, there's something wrong with these people. That's the, that's the, what Paul is coming to. But then he says, this is why we do gather. He says, why we do gather is this, but if I'll prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, this is what begins to take place. So if we're all prophesying and that word prophesying, it's a little bit, um, in our English language, it's a little bit of a tricky word. 
Um, because when we think of prophecy, what you and I often tend to think of is we think of something that's going to happen in the future, right? We'll say, oh man, that guy's a prophet because he said something that was going to happen. He said he was going to win the ball game or how the stocks were going to go that day or whatever. Uh, and so that's not exclusively what the Bible's speaking of when it speaks of prophecy. Here's what prophecy is. Prophecy is taking the truth of the word of God and the truth of God's revelation to us and applying it to the lives of individuals, applying it to life. What God has said applied to life. Now, there are times in the scripture that there is a future telling prophetically, but there are many more times that we find prophets getting up and telling the people, this is how, this is what God has revealed to us. And so it's taking the truth of scripture and preaching that and applying that to the lives of those who are hearing it. And so here, as he begins to continue, as he speaks of this gathered church, he says, if they prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is, watch this, convicted by all. So why do we gather? Watch this. What we're going to do today is we're going to build up the reasons that the church gathers. Follow me. The gathered church, first of all, convicts of sin. The gathered church convicts of sin. So as we come together as believers, those who are without Christ enter in, there's a conviction of sin that begins to take place. Throughout the scripture, especially in the New Testament over and over again, we find a phrase becoming obedient to the gospel. Obedient to the gospel. Obedient to Christ. What is that phrase speaking of? What's the sin that's being repented of? Uh, can I propose to you? That's the sin of our unbelief. And unbelief is the root of our sinfulness. When I behave in sinful ways, contrary to how God would have me to behave, it begins with a lack of trust for God to provide in those needs, a lack of faith, a lack of believing in the work that God has already provided through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so our sin problems are primarily faith problems. And so when the church gathers, one of the first responses we find that people will give to the gathered church is it's a conviction of sin. But not only that, we're going to keep going here. He says, so he says here in verse number 20, uh, 24, of all prophesy, an unbeliever outsider enters. He's convicted by all. He is called to account by all. And so when we gather, what we find is we are all preaching the good news of Jesus. We are all prophesying. We are all doing this thing in one way, shape, or form. It might be from one-on-one -on -one conversations in the lobby. It might be from teaching in a kid's class. It might be from leading in a group that meets. It might be from singing on the platform or even congregational singing on the floor. It might be from preaching as we open up the word of God. Some of us, we begin to lay the foundation for the gospel as we serve in our hospitality, even as we hold babies in the nursery, uh, as we open a door, as we help others find seats. We find that these are things that are demonstrable ways that we can live out the gospel and present it to others so that when they hear the good news of the gospel, they're ready to receive it. And then as the word of God is opened and as we are convicted, we find the gathered church convicts of sin. But not only that, the gathered church convicts of sin and demonstrates accountability to God. The gathered church convicts of sin and demonstrates accountability to God. And so what we find is that the connection, the gathering, it brings increasing accountability. Increasing accountability. You see, we have, there are those that would say, I'm religious and I like God and I'm a Christian, but I never gather in a church. I never, I don't attend a church. I don't really participate in a church. I'm going to issue you this challenge today, okay? Find for me 
one healthy, growing individual in the New Testament that is not a part of a church. Find one person in the New Testament who is growing in their faith, maturing and healthy, and not a part of a church. All right? If you can find that for me, then I will be all for, hey, listen, growth outside of, but here's what you're going to see. And I've read the New Testament multiple times. You won't find it. You won't find it. But instead, we come together and we keep ourselves accountable with one another as a church. And you see, a refusal to gather is declining an invitation to accountability. How many of you like to hike? like to hike? You like to go on trails and things like that? Super. Um, how many of you, you hike alone? You've hiked alone before. You do it consistently. Hike alone. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if brave or stupid. I'm not sure which word you want me to use. I love the three of you I saw whose hands went up. Um, and maybe both. Maybe both. I know all three of you guys pretty well. Um, so here's, here's why. What's the danger of hiking alone? Did you say Bears. <laughs> what happens how many of you you've been hiking and you fell and you twisted an ankle or you broke something or you were hurt while hiking anybody in here all right no you know why because they didn't come back they're still out there so here's what happens when we're hiking or we go do those things by ourselves when we go do those things on our own with no one around us and you fall what happens? Like we hear those horror stories, right? Of this individual who falls and then, you know, they have to do something gruesome. I won't go into because we have kids in here. Um, they have to, you know, we hear those horror stories, right? And what, how's it always begin? Tim was out hiking alone. Right? Because you have someone else there with you and you fall. Then what happens? They go get help. Hopefully. <laughs> I don't know what happened to Tim. <laughs> you don't want to hike with me. Uh, listen, you go out and you, you, you go find help for that individual. The individual falls and there are others to pick them back up or others to go find the help that they need. But what happens when we fall alone? Well, we're in danger. We're in danger. And oftentimes then it's too late, right? And so as we gather as a church, we're increasing this accountability. We're, we're demonstrating our accountability with God. And we're demonstrating the way that we live in community with each other. But not only that, watch this. We're going to keep, we're going to keep going. So we see that if all prophesy an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God. And so the church gathered, convicts of sin, demonstrates accountability, God, and joyfully worships him. Joyfully worships him. In fact, the word joyful and the word worship are very closely related if you go study them out. When we worship, we are called to be joyful. When you walked into church this morning, um, I hope you didn't walk through these front doors and think, okay, who died in here? Um, but we may have, if you've been around church for a while, you may have attended churches where you walked in that front door and just, who died? You ask someone, they're going to say, well, Jesus did. And you're going to be like, yeah, but he's better now, right? Because like, we don't come together to celebrate a, a Jesus, to, to, to talk about Jesus' funeral. We talk about the fact that he's alive. 
We talked about a few weeks ago at Easter, we talked about how Jesus messes up every funeral he ever attended. He came in and he just botched it, right? Ah, we had a perfectly good funeral. Now he's over there walking around. Like he does, that's not how things work. And so when we gather together, we joyfully worship God. And you know what that does? It leads those who are without Christ to come together and worship. You see, today, as we baptize, as we sing these songs, today is a joyful day. You hear me? A joyful day. When the church gathers, it is a joyful occasion. Because the fact is, is that the world around us has every reason in the world, every reason on the planet that you can think of to be sad, to be discouraged, to be depressed, to be upset, right? If you want to go undo everything you did this morning, go home and turn on the news, right? (laughs) And you're going to feel like, oh my goodness, the world's falling apart. Can I tell you, listen, the world might be falling apart, okay? Maybe, I don't know, but I know who isn't. And let me tell you, the Bible says that I'm in him. I'm in his hand. He protects, he cares for, he provides. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't want for anything. He leads me, he guides me, he makes me to lie down beside still waters. He restores my soul. Even if, watch this, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear evil. Why? Because God's with me. He's with me. And so when the church gathers, it's a joyful occasion. I love Sundays because it's God's people gathering together. And we get to celebrate the things that he's doing in our lives. We get to celebrate what he's doing in the lives of others. We get to see God doing his thing among his people. How much better does it get? And so as the church gathers, we gather joyfully to worship him and to lead others to do the same. Because you see, at the end of the day, it's, that's not all. That's not it. That's not, what's, that's not what's done because we see he will worship God and watch. Declare that God is really among you. As we come together, the gathered church convicts of sin, demonstrates accountability to God, and joyfully worships him for his glory. For his glory. When the church gathers It ought to cause others to think highly of God. What does the glory of God even mean? It's the impacting of others' opinions of God or others' thoughts of God to make a big deal about who God is. Because, listen, he's worthy of us making a big deal over. Can I say this? You can't worship God too much. You can't give him too much glory. Okay? He deserves it all. And so as we gather together, we lift up his name and we speak to his name and we, we want others to come think of him the way that we think of him. We want our own view of God to shift and to evolve and to grow and to expand. But did you realize this, that the way that you behave affects others' opinions of God? Did you know this? I'm not saying that it's right because you and I are sinful, but the way that you and I behave as children of God, as Christians, affects how others view God. It's just the way it works. And so here, as we seek to give God glory, listen, you call yourself a Christian, the way that you treat others will impact their view of God. You're either pushing people towards him or pushing them away. We're not neutral here. 
And then what about those of us as we gather, we go through, we can, there's conviction of sin, there's a demonstration of the accountability of God, we joyfully worship him for his glory. But not only that, watch what he says here in verse number 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, again, there's that phrase, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Watch this. Let all things be done for building up. Let all things be done for building up. So what about those of us who, as we're a part of the gathering, or being built up? You see, we're a brick in a spiritual temple. We're a piece of the work that God is doing. We're a part of the family that God is assembling and he is redeeming and calling to himself. You see, we do all of these things. We come together to worship him. It's his glory and his glory alone, but it's also this, our growth our growth. Go study the scriptures and tell me the individual who grew spiritually and they were detached from or devoid from a church of God. You won't find it because part of God's plan for our growth is to come together, together to be built up, to be built up. We come together for the building up And as we come together around all of these things at the center of it all, at the center of every one of these things is the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. Because you see, without the gospel of Jesus, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection, we have no reason to gather. There's nothing to celebrate. There's nothing to come together around but Jesus. As we gather as we assemble, as we are behaving like the church, what we find is that God works in and through us. That God gets glory and that he builds us up. You see, even as we come together for our growth, can I tell you this? Um, you can't grow yourself. You can't grow yourself. When we look at a building like the one we're sitting here today, we don't come in and say, wow, it's amazing how that building built itself. No, someone assembled it together. Even so, the church of the living God did not assemble itself, did it? It was built up by a master builder, who also is the chief cornerstone, who is none other than our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you see, you and I, we are only ever in desperate need of our own, of our salvation. Uh, We don't do anything or contribute anything to our salvation, um, except one writer put it this way, the sin that made it necessary. That's what we bring to the table. And so today, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to commit yourself to this next step that we call Sundays. It's the church gathering. Because the church gathers for a purpose. The church gathers and the church influences and impacts the community. You see, we have the opportunity to have those who don't know God or those who are far from God, they come into this place and they see a church demonstrating the gospel and singing about the gospel and preaching the gospel and in one-on-one conversations discussing the gospel. And then what happens? The gospel changes lives. The gospel changes lives. These this morning who came and were baptized, it's a testimony that the gospel changes lives. Because these are those who were impacted by the church and they came in and they saw the unbelief and they were convicted of it. They said, we want want what these people have. We want to continue to grow and we want God to have the glory. And, And they go and they've been maturing in this process and we're excited for the days ahead for these individuals. But listen, 
As we gather together, we do so for the glory of God, for our own building up, our own growth, for God to continue to do work among us. But also, there are those in here today that maybe you say, hey, I'm far from God. I, maybe, I, I don't know if I've ever even been saved or you use that word gospel or the good news of Jesus. What is that? Well, let me tell you. It's Jesus coming in my place because my sinfulness made it so that I was separated from God forever. I can't get to God on my own. My sinfulness pushed me so far. I just, no, I was condemned, guilty, had no way of coming back. But watch this. While I was a sinner and while you were a sinner, Jesus died for you, the book of Romans tells us. But even as Jesus died for you and as he died for me, he didn't deserve the death that he died. You see, Jesus, he came, he, the Bible says, fulfilled the law. He kept every, every instance of the, God, of the law. There was no sin, no guilt in Jesus, and yet he died. I deserve to die, but he died for me. But we don't come together to celebrate a funeral. We come together to celebrate life. Because even as he died three days later, he rose again. So we see that not only has he come to pay the penalty for my sin, but he's also come to give me new life. And he has the ability to give that life because he is more powerful than death could ever be. In fact, Paul would write, he would write later and say, listen, it would have been impossible for death to hang on to him. That's how much more powerful he is. It would have been impossible for the resurrection to not happen. What a wonderful truth. And so we see today the church gathers for a reason. Sundays aren't just a thing that we come together and we do when we say, oh, I got to punch the clock in and it's Sunday, so I got to do the Sunday thing. No, listen, the church gathers for a reason. The church gathers for a purpose. It's in our DNA as a church. The word literally means the gathering. That's what we are. And so today I'm going to ask you to make a decision as a result of the word of God and how it impacts our lives. Maybe you need to commit yourself to being consistent in being a part of the church. Maybe you've connected or you're disconnected for so long and you've been so far outside of, but God's pulling you back in and God's pulling you back in. He's saying, hey, there's a body of believers you need to be a part of. I know we have some guests here today that they're active at other churches and we love that. We hope that you will take those steps and that you will be so involved, such a great part of the church that you belong to. If you don't have a church home, I know a great church with an okay pastor, all right? Listen, we want to come alongside you in your spiritual growth and your spiritual walk, your spiritual journey. And if you're here today and you say, hey, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. I've never believed in the death, burial, resurrection the way that these five demonstrated this morning. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to open up the Word of God and show you how you can place your faith in Jesus alone.